know if I have a voice left to preach, okay? I'm not sure about that. Think about this for just a second. Um, this isn't the sermon, so uh, just think about this for a little bit. It struck me uh, when I was listening to that song that we sing to the Father, okay? We have an audience of one when we come to worship, and it is to the Father. And can you wrap your heads around what it must be like to be the Father and to hear us together as his children, his family, and say to him, I will take you at your word. Whatever you say, I'll take you at your word. If you're a parent, can you imagine one of your children ever saying that to you? And we said that to the Father, that we will take him at his word. Man, that was good, good stuff. Thanks for being here. I have looked forward to for so many, many weeks about preaching this new sermon series. Um, I think there's a few things that ought to be reminded to us every year in every preaching schedule. And this is one of those topics that I think we just gotta wrestle through every year. And so I've really been looking forward to coming and uh, sharing that during this evening and as we go through the next three weeks. The title, as you can see, is Pretty Ugly People, okay? And so if that's the first time you've seen that, you might go in a lot of different directions with that, won't you? And your head might think things that maybe aren't exactly what we're gonna talk about. I remember the, uh, the story about the couple walking through the mall one day and just kind of moseying around, doing their own thing, you know, and they went by a pet store and the uh, pet store had a, a bird cage on the outside, had a parrot in the cage. And they're just kind of cruising by the pet store and as they get to the store, the parrot yells out, hey, buddy, your wife's ugly. And they stopped and looked and were in somewhat shock at what they'd heard. Surely didn't say that. And so they just kept on walking and did their stuff in the mall. And they came back a little bit later, walking back the other way by the, by the, by the store. And the bird yells out, hey, buddy, your wife's ugly. Well, ain't no man can hear that about his wife two times and not do anything about it. And so the guy goes into the store and finds the owner. I mean, your, your bird just said my wife was ugly. And the owner said, I'm sorry, we've had problems with the bird. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And so he goes out and the owner opens up the cage and slaps a bird around a few times. And you can't say that. I told you, you can't say that. You say that again, you're in a dark room by yourself. Shuts the cage, tells the guy, I'm so sorry. So they go do the mall thing a little bit more, they come back a third time, and the bird sees them, and the bird goes, hey, buddy! And the guy says, what? And the bird goes, you know what, you know what? <laughs> well, that's not what I'm talking about today, okay? If we're thinking in terms of, you know, uh, people who are a bit challenged physically, that's not what we're thinking about. If, if I had to kind of wrap it up and say, you know, let's put this in a nutshell of what we're talking about, I would come down to one sentence and kind of summarize what we're going to deal with. And uh, let me put that on the screen so that you can see that. And it comes down to this. We're going to talk about how to respond in a pretty way to people who are being ugly to you. And how do you do that? And what does the Bible say about how we how we communicate that. What do we do when people are ugly to us? Now, as I wrestled through that a little bit in a beginning way back in August, 
I remember putting that together in August and just kind of saying, okay, that's what we'll do and we'll study through that. And I thought that what I had on the screen there was just completely, totally, almost obvious. It's, it's understandable. You see what I'm talking about. How do we be pretty to people when they're ugly to you? And it was just almost self-explanatory to me that it would be really easy and everybody would know what I'm talking about. And then last week... The Palestinian terrorist group Hamas attacked Israel, and that topic has taken on a new face now. I, I thought we could come in and just talk about how we respond when people aren't nice to us and, and show you the Bible, and I didn't know that the week of we would be facing what we're facing. It's almost like the elephant in the room, and I hate ignoring the elephant. And so I want to be sensitive to that, about what our world is dealing with right now. And I, I think before we jump into what I want to teach about this aspect, that I really think that we have to deal with a couple almost related issues because we're all thinking about it. And there's no way for me to jump into this type of a, a topic without dealing what's on a lot of our minds when you come in here. And that is, okay, what are we gonna do when people don't treat us well? And, and we're asking the question, do we do then what Israel's doing right now? And so I think it's important that we probably just kind of sidestep a little bit about where we're going and take a few minutes and talk about a couple of, of very important topics that I won't spend much time on but I want, I want to clarify a little bit about what the Bible says about warfare and what it says about self-defense. And I think I'm, I want to deal with those because I want you to see when I jump into this that what I'm not talking about for the next three weeks is warfare. That's, that's not what we're dealing with, nor are we dealing with self-defense because the Bible talks about both of those. And the Bible, as I'm going to show you real quickly, the Bible actually affirms both of those things. Let me, let me share a little bit about warfare. The Christian view of military conflict, of, of Christian warfare, for hundreds of years, all the way back to the fourth century with St. Augustine, it started there, the Christian view generally has been something called just war theory. And you may have heard that at some point in your life. It always tends to come up when there are military conflicts. And what just war theory says is that it is never a good thing to be at war. That it should be avoided at all costs. It's never the first resort. And if there's any way not to get involved in it, then you should not get involved with it. Just War Theory says war is not good. It is never good. However, there are certain guidelines where warfare might be necessary and might be appropriate. And I think it's good that Christians know that stuff. And so since the fourth century, all the way to today, there have been these creation of guidelines for countries all around the world that when these guidelines are in place, then warfare is appropriate. Those guidelines have been changed throughout the years. You can search them now and you can find all kinds of different lists. 
And regardless of what list you look, you see things like this. This isn't exhaustive, but here's a few things that come up. That war is just when it's under the authority of a government. In other words, a group just doesn't rise up and on their own involve themselves in warfare. No, it's gotta be under a government putting approval on it. It is for the purpose to stop evil aggression. So warfare is never just if you're the aggressor. But if you've gotta stop aggression, then it is a just cause. And you always do everything you can to protect the innocent civilians involved in that. And so there are these guidelines that for the most part, all of Christianity for years and years have abided by that nobody wants anybody to be at war. But if we have to be at war, then these are the guidelines that must be in place. Now what I want you to see as we just touch about this a little bit right now is that the Bible recognizes that that the Bible puts its approval on that. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, we have an entire chapter where God gave the regulations and the practices for Israel in the Old Testament when they went to war. And so he recognized that. The book of Ecclesiastes, many of you will recognize that verse in chapter three, verse eight. There is a time for war and there's a time for peace. There is a time for war. Even Jesus said this. In the 24th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, now you're gonna hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And so I just wanna kinda touch on that a little bit since it's in all of our minds, is that when I talk today about how do you respond when people are being ugly to you, I am not talking about warfare. That is a different topic with a totally different uh, concept of what God has to say. Warfare is not our focus. Now let me talk to you about about self-defense. And so particularly today as we're getting into this idea of what you do when somebody hurts you, then this idea of self-defense comes up. What if they're gonna physically hurt me? And so what does the Bible tell me to do about that? You might be surprised at some of the things I'm gonna show you. Is that the Bible is very clear that it never wants any of us to hurt anybody physically. But there are times when you should protect yourself and you should protect the people around you. Have you ever read Exodus chapter 22, verse two? I don't know if you've ever seen, look this. If a thief is caught breaking in, and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. The Bible recognizes that. The Bible says that. And you might remember as well, if you're familiar with the Gospels of Jesus, when Jesus is nearing the end of his time on this earth, and he's going to be facing the cross, and then he's gonna resurrect out of the tomb, and then he's gonna go back up into heaven, and he's looking at his apostles one day explaining all that, and he knows, I'm gonna leave you guys here alone, and I'm gonna be gone, and now it's up to you to keep this going. And now if you ever pay attention to what Jesus said, and, and I'm not trying to get into the, the, you know, the, the amendments of whether we can carry weapons or not in America, but I want you to see what Jesus said to them. He said, listen to these guys, look at this. But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And so the Bible affirms 
that there are appropriate times of self-defense. When somebody hurts us physically, that we would respond accordingly to that. And that is a real thing in the Bible, but that's not what I'm talking about. And so when I'm getting into this topic today about what do you do when somebody hurts you, I am not in the warfare realm, nor I am in the self-defense realm. I'm not in either one of those. I'm in something different. I was listening to R.C. Sproul uh, teach a lesson the other day. And if you're, you've been a Christian involved in Bible study uh, for a long time, you may recognize the name R.C. Sproul. One of the greatest preachers America has ever had. Uh, spent most of his ministry up in the Pittsburgh area. And every person who does what I do has spent some time listening to R.C. Sproul teach us how to preach and how to do all. I mean, he's just kind of the mentor of all of us. And I was listening to a, a message that R.C. Sproul taught about self-defense and what the Bible has to say about that. And he told a story about his little girl, and he said she was five at that time, and they had some neighbors next to them who also had another young child in their family, and it was a little boy. He was about five or six. And he said that the little boy would always come over, and they would, they would play out in the backyard. These kids would be in his backyards playing. And he said the kid was a bit of a bully. And so at some point, he would push my daughter or maybe punch her in the arm, and, and she would cry, and they tried to help her work through that. What do you do when somebody hurts you like that? And uh, they didn't want to tell her, well, just knock his block off. He said, we don't want to teach that. And so we'd say things, you know, tell him to stop, come tell us. And he said, nothing was working. And so he was talking to his daughter one time after the bully had done his thing, and he, and he wanted to get her to the point where she would realize maybe you need to defend yourself, but he didn't want to come out and say it. And he said, honey, just when he does this, whatever comes into your mind, just do it. And so the little boy came over and, you know, had the same thing, and he, he bullied her, and she cried, and she came in, and, and, and R.C. said, well, what was in your mind? What was in your mind? She said, Daddy, I couldn't think of anything in my mind. Isn't innocence of children beautiful? And so R.C. said, I'd had enough. And so I looked at her, and I said, the next time he does that, I want you to punch him. And so it was a few days later, he said he's in his house, and he hears this blood-curdling scream. And he runs to the backyard and he says, my daughter is on top of this kid and he is screaming his head off. And she looks at me and says, daddy, how many times am I supposed to punch him? And, and God would probably want to limit that, but he'd probably be okay with one or two, okay? So when I talk, as we get into the study here, I'm not talking about that. I'm not referencing times when we are physically hurt by somebody and the Bible approves self-defense. I'm not talking about military conflict. I'm talking about when people do you wrong. And let me show you how I, I think the best way to understand the nature of what we're gonna talk about. And it's a verse that most of us know about from the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this one time, and most of us have heard this. Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now just look at that. That seems to say that if somebody hurts you, if they strike you, if they hit you, then you're just to stand there and take it. 
You're encouraging more. Hit me more. Hit me again. That's what that appears to be. But I want you to see what Jesus is doing here because you may not have ever understood what he's really saying in this verse. And I'm gonna demonstrate it to you. And I need a volunteer to help me do this, okay? I'm gonna move this back a little bit. I need somebody to come up here with me. I need a man, okay, because there's gonna be punching involved. And my dad said, don't ever hit a woman, so I can't hit a woman. When I said uh, punching, about eight guys went up like this, you know? And so let me have a guy, I think I saw, did I see anybody? Come on, dudes, somebody help me, okay? Um, is somebody, nobody? Come on up here. This is perfect. This is perfect. All right. Put your phone up, because you're gonna take a picture of this and call your lawyer, aren't you? All right, now, that looks like that, doesn't it? It looks like that if I hit you, then you just gotta take it and turn your cheek and I hit you again. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? Okay. That is not what Jesus was talking about. Because if you look at it, John, let's get over here kind of in the middle. If you look at that, he doesn't say that if I hit you in the cheek. What's he say? If I hit you in the what? The right cheek. Now the word right in the Greek language is actually there. Jesus could have said, hey, if somebody hits you in the cheek, turn the other cheek and let them hit you again. He didn't say that. He said, if they hit you in the right cheek. Now if you kind of play that out a little bit, this is John's right cheek here. Most of the population is right-handed. 90% of the population is right-handed, I'm right-handed. So how can I take my right hand and hit you in the right cheek? How do I get that done? Now I could use my I could use my I could use my left hand, okay? But I mean, who's going to do that if we're in conflict? I mean, I'm going to take off with my my non-strong hand. So how am I going to take my right hand and hit him in the right cheek? And and so I guess I could come around like this, but then we're getting too close, and that's really awkward, okay? And and so what what does he mean? Why is Jesus saying if somebody hits you in the right cheek. What Jesus is doing is he's using hyperbole. And he just finished using hyperbole in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, remember when he said, cut your hand off if it causes you to sin, gouge your eye. He didn't mean that, it's hyperbole. Now watch, here's how I hit him in the right cheek with my right hand. I come over here and I slap him like that. And that is the worst scenario of insult that there is to slap somebody backhanded across the face. And what Jesus was saying was not if somebody hits you. What he was saying is if somebody insults you like that. And when they insult you like that, then there's a proper way for you to respond. So thanks for not hitting me, man. Give it up for my buddy John. Now, watch what happens with this. Watch what happens with this. What we're talking about, not warfare, we're not talking about self-defense, what we're talking about is that when someone doesn't do you right, when they disrespect you, when someone has a bad attitude towards you, when someone has a mean spirit towards you, when someone's cruel to you, when someone's irresponsible to you, 
That's the ugliness that we're talking about. And again, please, please catch the drift of, of why we spent so much time on this. We're, we're not talking warfare. We're not talking self-discipline and, and trying to protect yourself from somebody. What we're talking about is when someone treats you that way as if they just backhanded you across the face and insulted you like that. How do you react to that? And I think that's such a big deal because most of, us, most of us have been in that particular point in our life that we probably need reminders on a regular basis of how God causes us to respond in a pretty way when people are being ugly to us. And so wrestle with that for a second. Has anybody been ugly to you lately? Okay, just slap across the face. Has anybody been ugly to you and maybe it's been a while back and you're kind of over it, but every time you see them, you still get a pit in your stomach. Has anybody ever been ugly to you like that? And the reality is, if there were total honesty in this room, almost every one of us would stand up and say, yeah, I know about that. I know about that. And what we're going to do for three weeks is we're going to show you that there is a very specific step-by-step -step process of how we can be pretty to people who are being ugly to us. Because our natural response is, if you're ugly to me, what am I going to be to you? I'm going to be ugly back to you. And I'm going to show you as a reminder that the Bible calls us to rise above that to rise above that and to do something in a way that will change the entire scenario. And so I, I want that to kind of settle with you. Get on, get on you a little bit here and think about that, that if somebody's been ugly to you and you're wondering how in the world will we get past this? How in the world can we fix this? We're gonna show you the Bible's plan. It is a step-by-step -step process that we're gonna spend three weeks and talk to you about it. It is found in Romans chapter 12. And there is a paragraph in Romans chapter 12, it's a pretty lengthy paragraph that talks about how Christian people respond in relationships when they get sideways. Now, we're not talking warfare, we're not talking self-defense, we're talking insult, we're talking somebody being mean to you. And in Romans chapter 12, we have this beautiful expose of this is how you be pretty when somebody's being ugly to you, Romans 12. I think it fits in that category. I've mentioned this on a number of times that as Christians, we ought to know that there are certain places in the Bible that have kind of a specialty focus. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Psalm 23, the shepherd chapter. There are a variety of different places in the Bible that are known for a certain topic. Romans 12. How do you treat people when they're ugly to you? 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend three weeks on it, and we're going to kind of wrap up a step-by-step process of how you and I ought to respond in those situations. Now, before we get to what I want to talk about in this very first one, I want to I bring up something that we talk about all the time at Eastside, and that is that we teach this idea of context. And this is very important. I need your thinking caps on for a second. And we've taught this over and over. When you're studying the Bible, pay attention to what's happening around it. And this is one of the things that Bible authors do, and Paul did it all the time. That if Paul wanted to talk about a topic, for example, he knows in Romans 12 he's gonna talk about this idea. How do you deal with these situations? And so what he does is he sets the stage for it as he gets close to Romans 12. In other words, he gets us ready to hear what he's gonna tell us. And so you open up the book of Romans, you start going through it, and you find almost these these indicators of, okay, I'm gonna be talking to you about this stuff. So let me show you a couple of those happen before we get to Romans 12. One of those comes up in Romans chapter eight. Let's look at it. In Romans eight, which is about four chapters before he gets there, he starts to let us know this one we'll talk about. Now look at this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now if you're an east side person, you know that's who we are as a church. That's our mission as a church. We want as many of us as possible to look like Jesus, act like Jesus, think like Jesus, Everything we do is with that effort that we become like him in every aspect of our life. Now watch this. When somebody's ugly to you, when somebody has insulted you, slapped you backhanded across the face in something they've done in your life, watch this. The way we respond is not how everybody else in the world would respond. It's not how normal people respond. How do we respond? We respond in the likeness of his son. We respond as Jesus would respond. And so Paul is just setting that up. He's setting it up knowing that he's gonna get to a topic that's gonna be a little sensitive and he wants us to know, now when we get there, remember what you're gonna hear is not what you hear on the streets. What you're gonna hear is that the way we will handle this is the way Jesus would handle it. Now he then sets it up some more. When he gets to the 12th chapter, as he starts the chapter, in the second verse, he says this. Now don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conform was used in chapter eight. Conform to the likeness of Jesus. And then in chapter 12, now don't conform to the world. Don't do things like they do in the world, but change the way you think. Turn it around. Completely alter it because your response is going to be like Jesus would respond. So how do you be pretty when somebody is ugly to you? Here's the answer you do exactly what Jesus would have done. So what do you do? I'm glad you asked because when we arrive at chapter 12 in the book of Romans, we have this extensive teaching in this paragraph that this is how Jesus would handle that. 
And what I wanna do with you right now is I wanna show you only the first sentence. And we're gonna work through the whole paragraph over three weeks. But in this weekend, all that we're doing is the first sentence, and here's why. Because the first thing you do when you are offended, the first thing is critical. You get the first thing right, and you got a chance to work through this. You don't get the first thing right, it's probably never gonna work out. And so the first thing comes up in the first sentence of this paragraph. Here's what he says. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now you'll see I've kind of highlighted some of the words there. Those are compound words. The word bless is the word good and the word word. Good word. It means to speak up, to build up, to say something good and positive. The word curse means to say or wish something bad. Now, the whole aspect of what we're finding out in this very first sentence, the very first one right out of the gate, is that what we're hearing, and I want you to stay with me, is when somebody is ugly to you, Newton's third law jumps in. Every action's met with an equal and opposite reaction. Somebody backhands you, you're ready to respond. Here's what God says. Make sure you start by getting your mouth in the right direction. If that's the only thing you hear, then you will have accomplished at least a sliver of what God wants us to know. We're not talking warfare, we're not talking self-defense, we're talking about, you know what, you did me wrong. That was not right what you did. That hurt my feelings, that hurt me, that hurt my reputation, that was not right. And the very first thing that I'm to do deals with my mouth. Because your mouth can either make the setting better or it can make it worse. So get your mouth right first. It's the first thing you do. I remember hearing about a, a couple driving out in the country one Sunday afternoon. They were in an argument with each other and they went by an old farm, had a mule up in the front yard and the wife looked at her husband and said, is that a relative of yours? And he said, yes, by marriage, okay? Those words were down, right? You think anything got solved by that? Made it worse. And so I think this is so beautiful in this paragraph. If you stay with us these three weeks, you're gonna find things that really work. It's so beautiful that the way God starts it is because he knows us. When somebody hurts you, what you say is the most important first thing that you do. You get your mouth right, we got, a, we got hope here. You mess this up with your mouth, it makes it entirely more difficult to succeed here. Now, there are some, um, there are some aspects of this that I, I kinda wanna jump down into the weeds a little bit, and normally I wouldn't do these kinds of things, but I wanna jump down into the weeds of that, that first sentence, and I wanna show you some things that I think are important. 
one of the things in that sentence is it is written, the original authors of the Bible had ways to write these things, it is written in what was called an imperative mode. And so what an imperative mode means is God isn't just saying, hey, let me make this suggestion to you, okay? okay? They, they, they offended you, they did you wrong, okay, I understand that. And God says, you know, maybe, maybe I'll think maybe about what you have to say to them. And so God's kind of soft peddling it. That is not an imperative. An imperative is God saying, you must, you must get this right. If you don't get this right, it's not gonna work. This is an imperative. And as we keep digging down into the weeds of this sentence, we find out that when the Apostle Paul wrote it, he not only wrote it intentionally in imperative mode, he wrote what was called present tense. Now everybody knows what present tense is. Okay, it's talking about right now. Well, in the Greek language, present tense meant not only right now, but forever. In other words, you gotta keep this up. You gotta get your mouth right and you gotta do it over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we get in the, in the, in the arena gang, and I know this because I, I do that so many times. I, you know, somebody backhanded me, I'm offended, I'm hurt, and so I know, okay, I gotta, be, I gotta be positive, I gotta say something good, and I'll say something good one time, and they don't change at all, and I say, well, I'm done with you. Y'all laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? And Paul said, no, that ain't working. You may have to do this over and over and over and over and over. And there's something in us that says, okay, how many times I gotta do that? He didn't answer that. It's present tense. He purposely uses, as we dig into the weeds of this, the word, everybody catch this, Word. It is pronounced logos. Some of you may have heard that before, the word logos. It means word. It means the things that come out of your mouth, okay? So when I'm backhanded, when I'm insulted, when I'm hurt, when you did me wrong, then I absolutely must. It's not an I have to do this. I have to do it over and over and over again. Watch this. My words have to build you up and not knock you down. Now, if there's anybody in the room who doesn't feel convicted, you ain't listening. Because what's the response when this happens? What's the immediate response? Is our words attack and knock you down. And Paul said, you, you, can't, you can't take that route. You've got to learn to respond with insult. We're not talking warfare. We're not talking what Israel's doing. We're not talking self-defense. We're not talking somebody broke in your house tonight. We're not talking about that. We're talking the backhand across the face. Your immediate response is that your words need to build up the situation, not tear them down. Now, I find it interesting, and I've learned this from great Bible teachers in my life that I've sat under, is that there are Bible authors who have themes that are important to them, and so they mention it in a lot of their writings. 
And so a Bible author may make a point in a particular book and you find that he uses the same point in other books. And this was a big deal to Paul, apparently, is that when you're offended, when you're hurt like that, your words have to build up immediately. You've got to respond to the situation in a positive light. You have to do that because he mentioned it in other places. Let me show you another place he mentioned it in the book of Ephesians. Totally different church, okay? We're looking at Rome, and now in Ephesians he talked about it. Look how he said it in this one. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Don't say things that knock people down. Don't say things that reactively take the situation negative. Only bring up things that build up. Now, let me show you something I think is funny about that. I just really think this is funny because I'm a total weirdo. This is all a setup. Look at this in Ephesians 4. This is all a setup for a major thing that he's going to talk about in chapter 5, and it's marriage. Now, if you're married, have you ever been backhanded by your spouse? Now, I know all y'all got perfect marriages, but us normal people know what that's like. And so when, when it happens at home, what is the normal reaction? Oh, yeah! Huh? Huh? And what Paul says is that's why it never gets settled in your home because that doesn't work. Positive, up-building words. Now, I want you to see something. I, I, I think this is important. If we went back and looked at a, um, that sentence, that first sentence, he mentioned blessing two times and don't curse bad negative one time. And so if you can prevent initially the verbal attack and the negative. If you can prevent that, that will help. But it is two times more powerful to be positive, to build up, to figure a way that I'm going to say something that is helpful and constructive and good and I'm not gonna react in something that's gonna tear down. And Paul says that's two times more powerful to do that. So my hope is that you would get in your cars, we'd all drive home in a little bit here, and we'd think about this a little bit because everybody's here has been backhanded. And just relive those moments and ask yourself, what did I do when I got backhanded? was the very first thing, positive words out of my mouth. Now, my guess is that you hear that, and for most of us, you say, okay, Hastings, that's nice, you know, that made a good sermon and all that, but that stuff don't work. That don't work. Well, I wanna show you that Jesus proved that it did. And we're gonna end here in a few minutes in a different way normally. Um, 
our worship team is going to come back out here. And so guys, come on back and, and go ahead and get ready for what you're going to do. And they're going to sing a song that we're all going to sing together with that kind of wraps all this up a little bit. So they're going to kind of get their stuff ready. And while they do that, I want to I tell you a story about how Jesus knew this worked. He knew it would work. And you and I have been kind of playing around with this Romans text and, you know, yeah, we kind of get it. You've taught it, you know, we understand it now, but, you know, really, if I go home and just start building up with my, is that really going to work? If I go to work tomorrow, is that really going to happen? That's going to fix it? Really? If, if, I, if I say I'm not going to do it the way the world does it, I'm going to do it the Jesus way? Really, Hastings, you really think that's going to work? Let me show you that it will. So there's this, this place in the book of Luke toward the end of it. And if you're a Bible person, man, zero in on this because this is crazy. Luke is one of the four guys who told us about the life of Jesus. And, and, and Luke is one of those four guys who was very picturesque in what happened to Jesus at the cross. They all, they all talk about it. And if you've ever read that part of the story of the gospel, you, you know everything that led up to him being on the cross. I mean, you know it. The trials and the beatings, the crown on the head, um, the whippings on the back. I mean, you, you know all that stuff. And that's all led to him to be on the cross. And all four of these guys just kind of tell us that story. But Luke did something that the other three didn't do. If you're a Bible person, come on in here. Because when Luke wrote his story, he told us at the very first chapter of his story, he said, hey, I'm going to take a different approach than the other guys. I'm going to get down into the weeds and I'm going to notice some things that maybe other people don't notice. And he used the word, I'm going to be accurate. I'm going to be thorough. I'm going to see stuff that maybe other people don't. I'm going to write about it. And so Luke gives us details that the other guys don't give us sometimes. And so Luke is, Luke is writing this. And from the viewpoint of a medical doctor, he tends to be more meticulous and catches things. And he's written for us that Jesus is, is on the cross. And so Luke's, you know, watching and hearing the story and finding all the little nuances. And he hears something that he writes down that the other three guys never wrote. And it was from the mouth of Jesus. Don't miss this. What Romans tell us, get backhanded. The very first thing you do critically is make sure your mouth is right. And so Luke hears him speak and his words were, Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they're doing. And 13 verses later, Luke notices something else that the other three guys didn't talk about. And it says, the centurion, one of the lead guys who'd been involved in the the beatings and the whippings and the crowns and the slapping and the spitting, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. The pretty words of Jesus changed an ugly heart. The Jesus way 